1: With each other will be strong. From this day forward, none of you will ever walk alone again.
2: You don't own me, i your property, so
1: take little me. I feel
0: safer when we're together. Handmaids always walk in twos. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to the handmaid's tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Sana Kadar, host of All In The Mind for ABC Radio National. Hi. And Haiti Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hello. Hello. I. I don't care for how quickly this season is going. I don't know about you, but how are we up to episode five? I mean, they dropped three. <laughs> three in the first go, didn't yeah, they? That's so how. that's how.
1: Yeah. These are lightning quick episodes as well. I think the last, this one and the last one have both been like snappy 45-minute episodes, which seem shorter than they ever were, but tighter. Mm, they are putting a lot in them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I didn't even notice. I was just along for the ride both episodes, and <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even realise that they were shorter.
0: And it's a shorter season too, so there's only 10 this season. Anywho... All the more reason to get into it. Um, so we have just watched episode five of season four of The Handmaid's Tale, and it is called Chicago. This one's written by Nina Fior and John Herrera, and it's directed by Christina Cho. June seeks out more active rebels in the Chicago war zone. I hear you're
3: treating. I've another camp.
0: I want to come. While Janine tries to help her fit in with their new group of survivors. Did you try to make things work here with Stephen. It's just kind of pushy. And Moira goes on her first field aid mission. Jim, pretty successful for a first field aid mission, I would say. But anyway, we will get to that. Uh, oof,
1: what a biggie! What stood out? I don't know. Hedy, you're chomping at the bit. Well, what stood out for
0: you this episode?
1: <laughs> And um, I wonder if we've all got the same thing. But anyway. I fear we might all have the same thing, but my highlight was Aunt Lydia on that <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Snap. In the aunt's breakout space. And I think it is just funny to start with because it's yes. it's it's so jarring. But I think it's jarring because you know, it's it's anachronistic to see this piece of technology in in the Gilead mm. kind of world. I think there was like a tablet in a past episode. I mean, Liddy was getting around on that mobility scooter for a while. These are all really jarring images, and I think that's because um, they're a reminder that the old-fashioned values and traditionalism of Gilead is all a front, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. It's a facade. There's there's always an exception to that if you have power. So the treadmill's kind of like a glitch in the matrix, (laughs) you know, in Gilead. It's just this symbolic reminder of how phony the place is. So that was my highlight.
3: (laughs) I really love that. Um like I love the treadmill as well, but for a different reason, but in, in terms of your point, Haiti, we do we kind of forget that it 's not some old timey world that they 're in, and like mm. in a previous season when Lawrence was driving June through the city, it was a big city, you know, full mm. of like lights, and so there are people out there living in somewhat like a normal life, whereas the world that we 've seen has been very, very retro.
0: He had a flashy car too.
2: Yeah, yeah, he did. And you um, don't see household appliances. Like, you don't see washing machines. You don't see mm, blenders. Like yeah. That's part of what makes it so weird. But also, I don't know if you guys caught this, but the treadmill actually says, when, when Lydia pauses it, she it says, workout pause, blessed, day. blessed day, like, workout pause, <laughs> oh, blessed gosh, day. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> who's
2: driving oh, Gilead?
3: Is it he
1: to does. program
3: the treadmill? I love is it. that going to be Handmaid's, Handmaid's merch?
1: Merch, all... <laughs> totally.
2: Yeah, stick a hulu sticker on that. That, <laughs> And also the ridiculousness of her, you know, working out her in her woolen aunt's yes. outfit. Like, that just looks so uncomfortable and stupid.
0: I know. She should have brown lycra.
2: And everyone around her is doing, like, puzzles and cards and, you know, these very old-timey low-tech games. So the whole thing, yeah, it was so weird.
3: But great. So great. <laughs> really appreciated all of it. <laughs>
2: um, and, of
3: course, because it's sort of, for me... Highlighted that she's just going nowhere, you know. It was just, it was like a really nice way to say, you know, yeah. what do you do on a treadmill? You kind of go everywhere but nowhere, Absolutely. you know. And so she's staying in the one spot, trying yeah. really, really hard, and she's looking out the window to the handmaids, which is where she wants to be. She wants to be there so bad that she speeds up on the treadmill. She's really going for it, and she's just not getting there.
0: <laughs> uh, when they kept saying Godspeed, I thought, I hope that's also a setting on the um <laughs> 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 on the treadmill. <laughs> Going to it's
3: going at godspeed. Like a turbo button in a car. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, so it turns out we all did have the same yeah. <laughs> the same scene. Um yeah, and just Lydia generally or that we'll get to it, but the other scene with Lawrence, yes. that's like a western and I guess the cattle prod made me think that more than anything else, but there's so many other character stories happening in this episode. Um where to start? Let's start where. It starts with Luke and June having some sexy times back in the before times. And to nod back to our conversation last week about consent, June is displaying enthusiastic consent, Mm. shall we say. And that's on June's mind because, I mean, you would go to that if only to block out whatever the hell is going on over her shoulder that old mate Stephen is doing to Janine. Um, So that answers our question last week of, like, what is the currency in this place? Janine and Stephen are now a thing... Whatever that means in this world. I mean yeah. like
3: the tragedy there I think is that Janine thinks it's consensual. Yeah. And which is feels like another brain survival thing that you have to do to be able to keep on keeping on.
2: Yeah. Whatever gets you through. But yeah. Also the revelation about why Janine feels the way she does about Stephen and, you know, wants to stay was like one of the saddest parts of this episode for me yeah. in terms of wanting to be a mommy that keeps her child. So yeah, that that was So sad to hear her say that. Yeah. And it didn't even occur to me that that was the reason until she said it. Yeah,
0: it's true. So many layers now that we've seen the Janine backstory and we're reading so much more into into her character. Yeah, and we haven't even got to what happens at the end. But, um, you know, that night, June is drawn to the sound of firefights happening outside. She's drawn to the window. Looks like the Nighthawks are doing their thing. We'll get to those. But, yeah, she's transfixed. And, like, as we know, June came here to fight. So (laughs) (laughs) she is drawn to anywhere that she thinks there's a fight happening. (laughs) She's on it. Yeah, she wants to get out there. Says so to
1: Stephen. Janine helps out. I was with Stephen in that moment. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, June? Standing next to a big open window with a bright light in the middle of a war zone. Get back downstairs or at least turn the light off. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah, I did wonder, like, does does June fear anything? Like, does anything scare her? Because, like, yeah, my instinct would not be to go to the window and go investigate. It would be to hunker down. What is she doing? <laughs> I mean, I'd take a look. but like <laughs> she, I, I, know, wouldn't I, take like the I light. would as well. yeah, I was like,
3: yeah, yeah so- I kind of would have as well. Right. <laughs> right, OK. We're the scary cats. This is why I should Stay at home.
1: <laughs> Where does <just> night hawks? Now <laughs> she could have at least turned the light off. That's all I'm saying.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No. That, that was a little bit silly. But that's June. She's up for a fight. Um, but uh, from that we get with the negotiation of the daytime. That's when we get the revelations about Janine and Stephen. And Janine put on a green jumper. That was <laughs> something from took our advice from last week. Um, <laughs> so they go on these trawls through Chicago, but not for weapons. They're not fighting. They're just kind of. Sustaining. Survivor. They want batteries and they want petrol. That's kind of a long. They're playing the long game, which doesn't really sit with our girl. <laughs> Speaking of long game, Lydia. Then we got. Well, then we cut to her with that incredible scene with working up her step count. Um, Ruth, Have, I don't think we've seen Aunt Ruth before. I
2: feel like we. I, I don't know. She seems familiar, but maybe maybe I'm completely yeah. mistaken. Mm. I don't know if we've seen her before. Well, she's certainly risen
0: through the ranks. While Lydia's been indisposed. Um, being demoted a little bit. I love the use of past tense (laughs) that Ruth uses. I admired admired your devotion devotion. when you you were were still active. When you were still active. Um, Yeah, that... Lydia doesn't like to be spoken to like that. Who would, really? But, uh, yeah, she's on the outer. Notice the... The way that's shot, it's really
1: obvious that the height differentials Mm -hmm. in this. It was like a drone shot. I mean, Lydia looked tiny. She (laughs) really swamped her.
3: You guys met her in real life because she looks so small. And I I think if she is actually quite short, the show has done a really great job of making her really feel outsized, then, you know. (laughs) She didn't
2: strike me as you know, she was pretty average height. I, you know, she's not. I think in that scene is they really build Rose up to be looming over her.
1: Mm. Similarly in the in the scene later with Lawrence, I'm pretty sure everyone around Lydia in this episode um, is standing on a box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of the height difference. Yeah. I think she needs to be small in, in this scene, um,
0: in this episode. It's so good. But of course, that's when we see the new handmaids coming in. So there's a new crop. Again, I ask the question, where do they get new handmaids from? You know, like they're, quote unquote fallen women um so. are, they, are they not at the point where they're raising them now, perhaps? Like But aren't you a handmaid because of past sins? Like
3: isn't it to pay for your sins? Yeah. Is this what like a uh, we like we don't see the Ocono people much, which mm. are, I assume is just majority Gilead. And look at the price Eden paid for what she did. So maybe there are some really minor transgressions that put you on the handmaid track. <laughs>
1: like yeah, I don't know. Instead of going to juvenile detention you are uh... You get shipped off to be a handmaid. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, probably. And human nature being what it is, yeah, they probably are. But it's, um, yeah, it's a bright new crop of and
2: handmaids. If, and if they're capturing new territory in their fight, you know, yeah. from America, mm-hmm. then perhaps those women, w- whether they're being successful in their fight in the various fronts they're fighting, I don't know, but perhaps that signals they are somewhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of awful, isn't it? Because we saw that in the previous season, there was a flashback that June had of when she was captured and put in a cage and it was just terrifying. And I think maybe I've thought all this time that that was in the past, mm. but that's still someone's fresh hell, perhaps, is what we take from that. Yes. Yes. Good point.
0: With Janine. They were in that cage in the finale episode. Um, yeah. So that's where we are with Lydia in her world. Then we cut to Lawrence and Nick. So everyone's Trying to find their place. There's a lot of negotiation happening across this episode. So Lawrence has been demoted too, much like Lydia. But he's there to present make his case to to the fellas. And your boy Nick is uh, sitting at the
2: (laughs) He's got a seat at the big table. Uh, Way off to the side though, not in the centre. He's not the most powerful (laughs) commander.
0: No, but he got there because we haven't seen him at that table. I've looked for him, but I, I haven't spotted him before. How did he get there? Is this a because of Nicole. Like I know having a child <laughs> gets you there and now it's known that well. That is, it, hang is, on. That, is, is that it,
2: widely known? Well I it, wouldn't have Na- thought that was like widely known. Fred's
0: made it an allegation as part of his trial, his case. He's you he's put thought, it out there.
2: Right, okay. I would have thought if if that was widely known that would be a, a real mark against Nick, mm-hmm. because well, that's he what, went behind a commander and, and, you know, messed with the commander's handmaid kind of thing.
3: But it was an
0: order from well, from the wife. I don't know. I, I, I've, these are going in my head. Maybe I'm getting a well, off track. I feel like but... always
3: known that Nick has um, contacts in high places, and it, even before the Gilead times, he had that relationship with that guy. We saw them catch up for a coffee or something, and and that was clearly someone who was quite powerful when he was Fred's driver. The driver is clearly not the role that you that you give an unknown. Like, it was a privileged position, even though it doesn't look like one. I think it just is because you are so close to a senior commander and within that household. And I kind of remember when um, Nick actually had that display of dominance with Fred and, and refused to let him leave the house. Mm. I don't know. So, I... Nick, it's always a mystery, but he has contacts and um, because I was surprised too. I was thinking, how does he have a seat at this table? How did he go from driver to commander to leading the whole army to being a seat at this table? Yeah. Um, Which could have been the title of the episode, by the way, because in that previous scene with Lydia – it was all about her not having a seat at the table, and Aunt Ruth actually said, oh,
1: look, there's a seat at the table for you, and it was the card table. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong table, Ruthie. Uh, I seem to recall Nick stepping up through the ranks in the last season, perhaps in the wake of Winslow being killed off, yeah. and they're kind of being a little bit more of a, an opening for commanders of higher rank. mm Because he was definitely kind of at that level. Like, we found out that he was going to lead the charge in Chicago at the end of last season. So he had reached this point at the end of last season.
2: They really need to give us a a Nick solid episode to really explain what the hell is going on with that guy. Because there's been commentary on Twitter and in our comments as well about, you know, people think he's perhaps actually evil. You know, they don't trust Nick. And there's enough ambiguity there that I suppose you could read into it that way mm. I really I, I want some clarity on what the hell Nick is about because clearly I'm a fan and mm. I love him and mm. I want him to be good but yeah I think we need that
3: yeah I think that we have seen this season and previous seasons like I I'm a Nick true believer you know I think that he really does love June and especially all this season like I know that some people have sort of questioned what the hell is he doing questioned why he captured June in the first place at the farm but I see this all as acts of love. And there was a really great line between Joseph and Commander Lawrence and Nick, yeah um, where Nick says, "If June was in Chicago, I would know." and, um, and Lawrence says, "Oh, that's, that's sweet. sweet. Would your heart glow or something <laughs> Et reference. Yes, it would. <laughs> yes. I think it's kind of quite obvious how much he loves her. So, look, I may be wrong, but um, I'm still seeing that his heart is pure and true.
1: Yeah, there's that. There's that line he says to the Marthas when he's trying to find out where June is, where he kind of just says, "I care about her." Yeah, yeah. You know that that comes across as really genuine. So I think I he does. I don't think.
0: Ooh, I just I I there was just such an out of place line I was like why did I care <laughs> like well Lorraine I it would have been like okay <laughs> it just seemed a random or strategic yeah. thing to say that scene I, I didn't love that scene particularly it seemed very just for exposition's sake but maybe to answer some of these questions I fill in the blanks about Nick but when yeah, but- he the way he said it to her after she's going on a tear it's like
1: Okay, mate. <laughs> that is an interesting read because I, I had a similar reaction where when he said that line in response to this, Martha just going like, fuck, June, like everyone that tries to help her dies. and He's just like, oh, I really care about her. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's a little bit pathetic, mate. Like that mm. was my reaction. Yeah. But you're right. Maybe it was insincere. No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. But also it does
0: show that's when he's on the wane a little bit his power as well because then Mm. he gets overruled at the table.
1: But it might be just a little hint that maybe he's love blind. I do love how the show is is teasing this out and not (laughs) having him land on one side clearly because in this episode, the relationship between Lawrence and Nick made me really angry this episode. I don't mm -hmm. know about anyone else, but there were just like these... Men in this room, being puppet masters, just playing with June's life, mm-hmm. all just to benefit themselves in a way, because um, first Nick votes to overturn Lawrence's proposal of a ceasefire because you know, he can't be seen to vote against the offensive that he's leading. And then in turn, Lawrence agrees to a strategy that involves an aerial bombardment of the place that he's just found out June definitely is <laughs> because, well, actually don't know exactly because he's just blackmailed Cal- Calhoun. So you think he could get whatever he wants. But he owes Lydia. He uh, he has to get June back to pay Lydia back. But killing June isn't getting June back. I'm just saying. (laughs) True. So, yeah, that really angered me the way that they're both toying with June's life.
2: I thought that promise to Lydia to get June back was... I thought that was empty. Like, I don't think he's actually trying to get June back to fulfil his promise to Lydia. That's not what I saw as a genuine bargain. But
0: also we know that's what Lawrence is like. Like, he only came on board for the finale when he was out of options, he tried to flee. (laughs) Like, he he only comes around when it suits him. And even in season three, early on, when June was trying to size him up, she'd just come to the house, the the cage episode, where she had to choose the women from the cages. He disclosed that he didn't let Emily go out of any goodness of his heart. It was more the world couldn't afford to lose her magnificent brain. Like, it wasn't, Mm. you know...
3: There was, he had a line in this episode, which I think just really sums up his character in a way, which was when Lydia said that when June comes back, you know, I need you to promise that she comes back to me. Mm. And he said, I can live with that. And I feel like that's him. You know, yeah. he is mm. the that's king I mean. of making shitty choices or having a choice of like one awful thing with a different awful thing. And I think maybe his character storyline is, he's a long list of all the things that he can live with. Yeah. He's yeah. an economist
0: and it's a, not to diss all economists, but I, I don't mean the, <laughs> <laughs> let me walk that back a little bit. But yeah, like he, he's a pragmatist and it, it's not, a, he's not tied up with the emotions. It's, it's, um, mm. it's what works best in this situation.
2: Gosh, that just didn't land with me. Like I did not see him as turning on June. I don't know why. I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. He has, but I, I yeah, I just thought that was um, him just saying what he needed to say to get Lydia on side. I don't think that he is turning on June. I just think that, as you said in a previous
3: episode, that she's kind of a lost cause, you know. But to get back to that
0: scene with the council where um, Lawrence is presenting his, his proposal that gets rejected, he speaks of trade sanctions and, you know, how things are getting really hard in Gilead now because they're at war. And I just found that really ironic. You know, obviously it's intentional that trade is alive and thriving mm-hmm. in Gilead In the Gilead currency, everyone's trading secrets and it's so transactional. (laughs) Like it's Mm -hmm. all across this episode. It's Lydia with Lawrence. It's Lawrence back at Lydia. It's Stephen with June, Mm -hmm. you know, promising Mm -hmm. a gun when you've earned it. Lawrence with Putnam in the end. It's literal. There's literally a swap meet. (laughs) Like there's literally a trade um, happening in this episode. So yeah,
3: I know that um, I always sort of rely on the three of you to notice. Things like the colours and the scenes and the light and whenever you say it, I'm always like, oh man, I didn't see that. So I did see one thing in this episode, I'm really proud of myself, um, but it was when the guys were having like a council meeting, the shot that you can see, the way that the banners come down and the way that the guys are seated, it actually looks like a monster's face Oh, um, oh. and and yeah, and I actually I actually went back to look at it again to make sure I hadn't just made it up in my head. But yeah, it really looks monstrous. Um and then of course when we zoom in and actually see the council members, I thought it was kind of funny, maybe accidental, that like the head one seems to look like Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: like, they're really leaning into this. <laughs> totally intentional. Yeah. Well the other thing uh. in terms of um what I noticed was Janine has a new eye patch Where did she fashion a new Like she got rid of her um, maroon handmaid's eye patch And has this new grey one I, You know I guess they totally want to shed All their all their connection to their handmaid's past But I just thought that was a bit funny That she like went to the trouble of like Finding a whole new eye patch And after Stephen
1: told her that it was so cool <laughs> yeah.
2: She does match them to her outfits though Like I think I
0: think she actually had that in the last ep. Oh. um. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's so self-conscious about that as well. That's She mentions it in joking that, oh, who can forget the girl with one eye? Like, you know, mm, you would yeah. be when you've lost it in such circumstances and Janine
3: surviving trauma and everything. So it's, you know, she wants yes, to address it. Mm. I also they're assume enough. they just don't have much else to do because when they're in between going out, whether finding food or trying to get weapons or attacking. I can only assume there's just long stretches of nothing, Mm. which must be driving June insane. And I think that probably is partly informative of her go, go, go attitude Mm. that we saw.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, it would drive you nuts that you're out, but you're not really out and you're stuck with that fucking guy. (laughs) Yeah, like she's primed,
2: um, but
0: yeah, she's like a coiled spring.
2: Mm. But Fiona, on your... um point about trades everywhere. Uh, It was really interesting to me that um, when June and Janine trade their handmaid's cloaks with that guy, he doesn't seem to know what they are or the significance of them at all. And so either he, he does know and he's not surprised or shocked to see handmaids, um, you know, cloaks Mm. being traded. I don't know why that would be. Or he doesn't know, which potentially signals that, you know, actually the rebels don't know very much about life in Gilead because these are such iconic, such important robes in the life of Gilead. And it just does not register on him at all. I don't know. Did Mm. anyone else Mm. have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, it surprised me that they had any currency because what use would a handmaid's robe be outside Warmth. of Gilead, you're, you're going to be a target or it's not like you're going to be using that to sneak into Gilead and, you know, mm. <laughs> do whatever. Yeah, I target.
0: like that Janine
1: spoke to its
0: benefits. She's <laughs> just want yeah. to sell it to him. <laughs> you know, it's warm. You can use it as a pillow. Um, like, obviously, it's only worth something when they're in pairs because the mm. handmaids travel in pairs. Yeah, you No, know, I don't know. I, it may speak to the fact that handmaids haven't got this far yet. <laughs> like, these are the
3: first ones out. In that way, anyway, I it actually know. spoke to me of the original book, *The Handmaid's Tale*. When I think about what that book was or what it represented, and oh my God, how many how many students have tackled that over the years? So let me let me add my two cents. <laughs> um, but it really was a close up on a woman who otherwise history will never notice. Mm. Um, I think that's kind of was the power of it. It's like handmaids are women that are largely. Ignored, they're not even really seen in wider Gilead, really, because they can only be. I, my understanding is they can only be attached to commanders, right? It's not like a Condo people get um, handmaids. Mm. So the power of the book was that it just took one insignificant woman, and we just saw her story, and so um, and 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 we finally got to see a woman's life, and it actually mattered, and it actually meant something. And I think that. For me, like seeing that these robes meant nothing, it's because really in the in like the wider world, they are otherwise insignificant women who history would not remember. Um, mm. And those robes kind of mean kind of mean nothing. They're a pretty powerful mm. symbol, though.
0: Like the women yeah. beneath
3: them are invisible, but
2: yeah, yeah. As a collective, as a role, they have a really crucial part to
0: play. Mm. But yes,
2: no, that's interesting. Mm.
0: And just on the trading, like that's the one time where someone trades something or gives up something that's not for personal gain. Like June just gives Janine her one because it'll make Janine happy. Like that's the only time, (laughs) you know, she flinches giving it away because it's like, oh, this means so much, you know, trauma. But uh, yeah, it's a selfless gesture and that's the only one (laughs) that we see across this episode.
1: Yeah, that actually struck me when you were talking about all the transactions in Gilead earlier. I was thinking exactly that, that the relationship that we see between June and Janine is the only thing that's not transactional in this mm. episode and that scene where they're parting um, and saying farewell and they're both so closed at the start of it and they don't know what to say and they're frustrated with each other and then they slowly open up and it becomes quite a touching moment. That was, yeah, uh, <laughs> what am I trying yeah. to say? <laughs> yeah.
3: um, it really was. Yeah. Like that was, that was a really affecting moment for me having the, the, two of them coming to that decision to finally say goodbye because they have been together from the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And Janine later, when she sort of reverses her decision, she does say something which I thought was really beautiful and sweet but also infuriating, something along the lines of, I always feel safer when I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Which which got me, but also I thought, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Did you want to say something, Sam?
2: Oh, I was going to say something about the bargain or trade that sort of launched June into this trading mission. When she asked Stephen to initially come, Stephen says to her, you do what I say. And I snorted out loud at that point because June replies, yeah, totally. And I was like, when has she ever done what any man has ever told her to do? And so, yeah, in my notes I wrote, I've literally snorted. Fuck you, Stephen. She's not doing what
1: you are Good luck, Yeah,
2: good luck on that. If Lydia
3: found that this, you got no hope, mate. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, she's totally going to do it. One
0: thing, um, you know, this is called Chicago and they've introduced this concept of the Nighthawks. And I just want to unpack that name a little bit because do you know the painting Nighthawks? No. Edward Hopper. This can't be a coincidence because um, when Stephen says... That they used to be at the Art Institute. That painting, mm. you know, is housed ah. at the Art Institute in Chicago. And, yeah, I love this painting, so that's why the name stood out to me. But um, it's – you'll know it when you see it. Just Google Edward Popper Nighthawks. It's um, four people in a diner, oh, a brightly lit yeah, diner yeah. in a dark street. And yeah, you are on the dark street looking in at them. Mm. And it's just kind of this – that looks like a nice place to be.
2: <laughs>
0: ah, yeah. Oh, oh I,
2: I just one.
0: It. Yeah. yeah, that one. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Yes, exactly. You know it, probably not by the name, but yes, Yeah. And yes. the woman's a redhead, just FYI um <laughs> yeah. um based on his, his wife. But also the story of that painting, he painted it in response to Pearl Harbor. So it was about a nation under attack. It was kind of a little glimmer of hope and connection in an isolated city at a time of crisis. So anyway, that's kind of the backstory of that painting. So it I love that this show works on so many levels. That's just like one random. <laughs> so clever. Who knows what else um, they put in there that, oh my God, you know, Diana, I am
3: so lowbrow because <laughs> because um, what I was thinking in this episode, was I was more along the lines of Marvel heroes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Look, and I will embarrass myself. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm really getting superhero vibes from June this mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. and I kind of to the point that I think the show is playing with it as well. But maybe someone can pull that apart better than me. And I was thinking, if if she was a superhero, like which one actually is she? And I sort of landed on a really kind of odd choice, which I kind of didn't expect. But I'm really getting Hulk vibes. From June. And there are all, in this episode, there are all these men who are trying to save her, you know, like Lawrence and Nick are sort of almost having an argument about who was trying harder to save her. <laughs> mm. um, and then and then there's Stephen, who has also got his own tactics for how he's going to save, you know, everybody. And And I feel that, like, June is there just fueled by anger, that, like, we saw her in the beginning, back with Luke in pre-Gilead times, and she was just a... She was just a nice, mild-mannered Bruce Banner who just wants to live their life, you know, she was and a book then- editor back in. <laughs> yes, a nice introverted <laughs> book book editor who ends up in this awful place and she's just powered by anger and that seems to be what her survival is and how she and how she seems to get through. And here she is stuck on this blurred edges of, like, she's got Canada on one side, I assume, and then she's got Gilead on the other. So she's kind of free, but she's not free. And I sort of feel there's this line that, like, the Hulk has in one of the 5,000 Marvel movies where he says that Loki is, like, a puny god. And I just feel that, like, June is this superhero and she's just surrounded by these puny men with their puny plans and she just wants to smash it all down. Then I was kind of, you know, it's also quite sad because she's just had to build this sort of like shield of anger around her, and that's kind of what's getting her through. Janine clearly doesn't have that, you know. No, no she copes in other ways. Yeah, yeah, she's she's just got so many porous boundaries, really. That mm. like she just needs love and hugs. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I took I took a really nice, you know, <laughs> art discussion. <laughs> it's all art. Come on.
0: <laughs> No, I love it. That's great. That's a that's a great read, Matt. Yeah, that is amazing.
1: Um now that I'm looking at the Nighthawks picture, mm. all I can see is, is the, the Gilead colours, the handmaid's mm. red and, and the kind of teal of the of right. the wives. Yep. Yep. Entirely. There are so many layers here. Yeah. Thank you, Fiona. Oh.
3: I didn't do it. <laughs> I know. I, look, I'm now forever going to see this painting because now I'm noticing that she has red hair and like a red dress, and now she's always going to be the handmaid to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but astime. also, I guess
2: this this um makes it clear we are in Chicago, right? Like last last week, we were confused where we were, but this yes. is we are definitely in Chicago now.
0: We are, and there's also a pizzeria that they hide in, and you see the pizza box. Dante. I looked that up. Mm-hmm. That is a Dante's Pizzeria is a Actually
2: conference. exists. No way. Yeah. Really? That whole rabbit hole. I was yeah, like, but- Dante's Inferno, what does this have to say? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what was going on. I,
0: this show, I feel like um, I'm back at uni
1: writing my
2: philosophy <laughs> yes, essays, yes. just
0: throwing whatever theories yeah. I possibly yeah. can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See what exactly. sticks.
1: I did like... Since you noted um, the reference to the night hawks having hidden in the art gallery, mm. the fact that the trade that they go yes. to is also in a natural history museum with yeah. this sort of looming dinosaur skeleton, and I just really appreciated the the kind of symbolism of all of these things happening in you know places of science or logic or mm. places of progressive thinking and mm. education. You know, it's it's it's, it's the absolute opposite of you know the religious halls of Gilead, Mm. where knowledge is suppressed and and uh, everything's super conservative. Absolutely. Although I
2: suppose Lydia, when we see Lydia hanging out with the Marthas, that looked like the university halls that we hear about in in the Testaments. That you know they take over as their base. Mm. So there's one one spot of intellectual pursuits that you know possibly is taken over by Gilead.
0: Yeah. And that's what me that does that's a real Chicago museum. That's a field museum and which has a real T Rex um structure like that. So
3: all the Chicago references. It's called Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> on that sort of blend of the old world versus the new world. Like I really appreciated getting an update on how the Gilead Dollar was doing. Oh, did I miss that? <laughs> not so well. Yes, the economy is struggling, um, which is why. Oh, yes, right. Which is Yeah, where that, where that argument came for whether they should have a ceasefire and why. And, of course, Lawrence will always bring it back to the economy. I find that this show now is sort of sitting in my head as well and sort of mashing up with the real world in sort of bizarre ways. And, and I found myself wondering, yeah, like, you know, how is a Gilead dollar doing? And I wonder if Fred ever invested in Bitcoin or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be one of those infuriating things, which is that the women are living with like no pens or books, but the men are still carrying on kind of, they, they sort of get the best of both worlds where they get the best of modern life and also The Best of Previous Life. And
0: Lawrence has got the good, the good grog that he offers Lydia, <laughs> the good stuff
2: but also one line that very much tied to real world headlines this week at least, and we're sort of working a week ahead of what everyone else is watching, is Janine at one point when she's, you know, trying to explain to June why she wants to stay, you know, wants to be a mommy. Um, but she says, you know, the world needs more American babies now. And this week, the headlines are about the drastically falling, you know, birth rate in the United States. And yep. I just thought, oh, my God, this is so prescient and so scary. They've um, done it again. They've done it again, haven't they? It's crazy. Like, you you know, massive decline in birth rates there. And and that's the part of the problem that leads to Gilead's creation. All those,
3: like stories like that, they always drive me crazy. And look, I've always got an interest in reading stories around sort of those sorts of women's issues and, you know, abortion and pregnancy and birth rates and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it always sort of comes around again and again. And what drives me nuts every single time, and I really want to see this change in the future, is that it always comes down they always seem to think these decisions are really narrow and it's just what women are deciding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're like women are deciding to not have babies. And how can we blame women for this? And this is just so something which comes up in this show over and over again where women are just constantly blamed for things. But the structures that are around them which forces these decisions. Mm -hmm. So like we're talking about abortion last week and gosh, I said a lot, so I don't need to say much more about (laughs) that. But it's so weird how like the solutions are actually not around just going straight to the obvious, which is women and telling them what they can and can't do. It's actually the structures that you build around it and the, the support systems and the information that you give women and families. And so, yeah, it's the same with like the falling birth rate. It's like I remember thinking last year when people were saying maybe more babies are going to be created. And I thought, we don't know where this virus is. Who wants to go to a hospital right now? Who wants to put themselves in a situation where they'll actually have to go to a hospital? It just doesn't make sense.
2: But also, you know, you have growing inequality and no paid maternity leave and, you Mm -hmm. know, cost thousands of dollars to do anything in a hospital, breathe in a hospital, you know, like (laughs) it's not surprising, guys, I I would have thought. I feel like, you know, Lawrence could actually solve
3: all of these issues. You know, he's a guy that wrote all of those really big, thick books. I'm sure he can come up with some really great plans. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, he's
0: I think he's come up with that whole Magdalena colony.
3: So, yeah, let's not. Let's go somewhere else. We don't need to consult Joe about that. I think we have found what the male economists come up with. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry, economists. <laughs> I'm sure you're lovely as well. And perhaps called Stephen.
0: Let's not go there again. Hashtag not all Stevens. <laughs> um, but while we're talking about him, we have to talk about the scene with Lydia. I watched this. I rewound this scene. I love it. I love that it started with a double Lydia in the mirror Mm. (laughs) it's like the two faces Mm. of our favorite um the whole scene it it plays like a western even the music in the background like the you know it's like a um high noon or something and uh like Lydia says the t-word so we can say the t-word the testament (laughs) she don't worry we're not going to go too much into it but you know she mentions she's keeping notes She's keeping notes on people and she's not afraid to use them. I do love when the way Bradley Whitford says, there it is. There it is. (laughs) When she says exactly what she wants. So, yeah, this scene. I love it. I love it. Let's talk.
2: I did wonder, if she has all this dirt, why she hasn't ever really used it before. And I suppose that's partly because, you know, most men probably wouldn't believe her. The men in power probably wouldn't believe what she has to say is one reason I thought maybe she hasn't really used any of this um, gossip uh, before.
0: I don't think she's had to. She's been in the peak of her power. In terms of like, you know, if she
2: has dirt on commanders that are being immoral and doing the wrong thing, why she wouldn't have tried to out them? Because she's Mm -hmm. so, you know, fervently believing in the religious righteousness of this entire mission kind of thing? Hmm. I think um,
3: I would say to that that Gilead is clearly stacked against women from the start. Um, But it also seems very much, I guess, about that sort of quiet behind-the-scenes power or those sort of behind-the-scenes machinations. So, yeah, look. But who knows? I I do wonder. I feel like we're really seeing an evolution of Lydia in this season compared to the Lydia's we have Mm. seen in previous Mm. seasons. And the question is, is the Lydia that we are seeing now, has she always been there? Has she always been doing this? Or is this wonderful scene that she just had where she's really like maybe – for her talking about currency, her currency is information and we can see why she really wants to be back with those handmaids. It's not just because she loves her girls. It's because they are her currency. Mm. Like that is how she will find information about what's happening in everybody's houses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is going to be the key to her own survival. So I'm curious as well about the evolution of Lydia and whether she's been doing this all along. Mm. <laughs> it's really hard though like to – not talk about The Testaments Mm. I don't know what the state of play is but there is a TV show planned for The Testaments and I did read at some point that the challenge that the creators had for this season of The Handmaid's Tale was to actually introduce some characters that are going to be in The Testaments Mm. um, TV show I assume that I'm not quite sure what coronavirus has changed so I I assume the plans for that show are still tracking on
1: in that case it's going to be really hard for us to not talk about Mm. the book They're going to become increasingly interwoven, and I I respect that some people don't want to read the testaments because it you know it is in a way a spoiler for The Handmaid's Tale, but I see it as an enriching experience of The Handmaid's Tale. So yeah, I do I do feel like it's going to be very hard not to talk about it, and increasingly hard to. But I don't think we shouldn't talk about it. No, no, yeah, (laughs) Uh,
0: like they are weaving elements in. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like uh, yeah, I know people are scared of spoilers, but also. It's not a literal spoiler of the Handmaid's tale. I mean, June is barely in it, so if you're worried about that, don't worry. <laughs> we don't know mm. where this is going for her story.
1: But yeah, I definitely saw an evolution of Lydia in this episode as a response to the book. and I think yeah. that the the writers are, are taking the book and and running with it. Mm. And her, her character is very different to who it was in previous yeah. in previous seasons. They've responded That's to she- Margaret Atwood's work.
2: Well, in terms of Lydia's evolution, I felt like I saw that the most in the final scene with her, where she's back with her handmaids and she's talking to them about, first of all, you know, your bond with each other will be strong and you will never walk alone again, which, first of all, I was like, hang on, do you want that? Because last time that was so clearly a strong bond, they ganged up on you. (laughs) Too strong a bond. (laughs) Exactly. But she also seems to be, in her speech to the girls there, acknowledging how hard their role as handmaids will be and they'll be led astray by wicked men. Whereas I feel like previously when she was with her original group of handmaids, she was billing it as, you know, you are doing God's work. You are doing an important role. You are, you know, of service, but here she's very much like, it's going to be hard. You will have each other. You will have me, which Mm. seems like a totally different tone to strike. Uh, And, you know, that bond is so strong because straight after we go to the scene where Janine rejoins June and yes. says, you know, handmaids always walk together. So Lydia's words about this strength in, in numbers, like, you know, mm. looms large.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's been changed <laughs> by events as well. And, you know, she's dealing with these shitty men too. So I think a little bit of Lydia's coming through in that kind of comment. But, um, yeah, she's on
3: her own journey. As much as I was sort of infuriated in the previous episode where June was sort of trapped in that box in the basement – and Lawrence and Nick were having a nice fireside chat Mm. and I felt this I felt kind of similar in this episode like there's Lydia and all the other aunts in their nice breakout space and just below them is all the handmaids getting inducted (laughs) and that sort of view that we had of them reminded me of going straight back to the beginning of this series and when we saw the handmaids being punished and they had to hold a rock do you remember that they had to hold a rock and it was in the rain and they had to withstand that Torture of the probably their arm muscles just screaming out no maybe that's how they built their arm muscles Haiti and that's <gasps> how they got that's how they that's got over the tank <laughs> oh it all makes sense now <laughs> but um
2: she explains it
3: but I just I just thought oh it's so infuriating to see that like Lydia is actually fine you know yeah. here she is she's kind of like one of the guys you know playing her power games dealing with information yeah. and she's just going to keep on is she going to keep on treating the handmaids the way that she always has. Well,
0: you know, she's on her path now. You mentioned the treadmills, like, going nowhere. When that scene, that aerial shot, it looks like she's at the centre of a wheel. Like, that's what I thought. It's, you know, she, now the wheels are in motion. Ah. She's, <laughs> she's going somewhere. <laughs> you, there's no wheels on a treadmill. Yeah, that was great. And, of course, you know, like you said, Sana, that's obviously the big liftoff to June and Janine. That's in the middle of them saying goodbye and um, then reconnecting.
1: We have to go there. All right. Let's go. Ending the big scene. I'm going to ask it. Is Janine dead? That's mm. that's where I'm at. Is I kind of think ah. I kind of think well the fact that there was this idea of the handmaids being in pairs going throughout the whole episode yeah. and then in the final scene June and Moira are reunited. Yeah. Oh, that shit. to me oh, that's was so a hint. Smart. That to me was the hint that yeah. Janine's not there anymore. Moira's the new walking partner. Yeah, they're pairs. It doesn't matter how that
0: is comprised. Yeah, um And they did say goodbye to each other. They've had their goodbye. Sure, they reconnected, but I don't know. But also, I also think we were like this when Lydia fell down the stairs. or she didn't fall. She got pushed and stabbed. (laughs) Yeah, come on, Fee. Um, With that episode, the... Is Lydia dead? But I think you said, Heidi, at the time, like, if Lydia was dead, they'd make it clear
1: Lydia's dead.
0: So... (laughs) I think back to that, like Alma and Brianna, we know they were dead at the end of yeah. that episode. I feel mm. like they, if someone's going to die, we're aware of it.
2: But Yeah, because I, I didn't think, usually I feel like my head goes to the most dramatic, obvious thing, but I didn't think that Janine is dead. I don't think mm. she's dead. Mm. But I don't, I don't really think- have much to explain why I feel that way. <laughs> I think they, they can't kill
3: her off, right? It would just be too <laughs> mean, especially with the backstory and how sad that was. It just feels well, like her life needs to... Her life, please give us one bit of a happy story. I need Janine to get out. I'm like, I need this, guys.
1: <laughs> and we we've, we've just had this whole episode that is reinforcing the fact that we all underestimate Janine. Yeah. It feels wrong to kill her off now. Like, she should be the one that survives against all the odds because we've underestimated her. Yeah,
0: yeah. life's not like that.
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wondered too about Janine. It's, well... Episode six is on the way. Hopefully we we'll might get a bit of um, clarification on that. But,
2: yeah. Can I ask one practical question? <laughs> Somewhat practical. Always. Before, before Janine and um, – before the explosions start, mm. Janine and June are first of all walking like down the middle of the street or I think June was on her own, which seemed like a really poor choice. Yeah. Um, but then when they walk past that um empty guard station, what was their plan if the soldiers had still been there? Because they were very yeah. much – out in the open and just strolling on paths. Like, what what were they planning to do if it wasn't empty? You know, that just mm. struck me as really odd. Mm. Not very yeah, well I thought
1: that too. Like, through? Who's, who's the sentry here? What, what, whose side are they on? It did strike me that maybe that Dune was walking in the middle of the road be- because she wanted to be found by the Nighthawks, mm. but definitely not by soldiers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
2: I don't know, but also, so Mora is now in Chicago, right? Chicago is yeah. a solid like eight hour drive from drive from Toronto, and I was trying to look at the map. I haven't sort of figured it out yet. But do they need to drive through Gilead territory to get there? Like, how how has Mora ended up in Chicago?
0: Well, she's working with an NGO because the, yes. the whole thing was this ceasefire oh, was right. going to happen. The NGOs were allowed to come in for aid and food yes, and healthcare. Okay. That
2: explains all of that. Um,
0: <laughs> and there was the recap at the start of the at the top of the show. Her girlfriend works um and she said you should maybe you should come. So I think that's how maybe mm. Moira has found herself there as part of this aid mission. Yeah.
3: Moira. I <laughs> think that, was... that she spots June, but I'll allow it. That was a beautiful moment. <laughs> it really was a beautiful moment. Like I just had like um I had that feeling of like June's found her person, you know? They're yeah. back to they're back together again. And but of course the question is sort of like what now for June because this kind of means that she is out now you know we've been mm-hmm. we've been trying to get June out like all this yeah. time she is finally out mm. and it's interesting to sort of think about the two sort of goals for why they do what they do and and Moira had said that you know the reason why she is still quite active is because she feels so guilty because June is stuck there and she and she knows that June's working hard and June has been so propelled by all this sort of anger and, of course, fear and injustice and all the things that you want to roll up into that. But she's been propelled by it, you know, pushed forward, and all of a sudden she doesn't have to do it anymore, you know. Like Mm. she's now hit the end point. So what does June do now? And thinking of that sort of brought me back to Rita as well because I was thinking not everyone is going to stay to fight or or to still do their activism from Canada what does June do now? And if I was also Rita, I'd be like, once I've said my piece, I don't want to be in the same city as Serena and Fred anymore, let alone maybe even the same country, you know? Like, mm. well, get get oyster Rita. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I wonder what happens to June in the next few episodes. Well, mm. I think
2: she is out because, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched the trailer, like, you know, we see her in, in civilian clothes with cropped hair, sort of like testifying somewhere. It seems like Toronto. So I think this is... Her now potentially getting out of Gilead, but I my overall idea about if she does get out of Gilead this season, I don't think she leaves for good. I think she comes back in. Like that's my weird prediction for what happens mm. with June. I, d- I don't see her leaving Gilead for good and leaving Hannah for good quite yet.
0: Mm, I wonder too. I, that deal between Lawrence and Lydia. That was my thinking that. Lydia's not done with June and June's not done with Lydia yet. I don't know. That, That mm. for me, is a sign that, like, even if June's out now, how far out? And also, back to the whole, it's the handmaid's tale. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's that whole yeah. thing, like, can she do that? Is her experience as a handmaid? It's all flashback stuff now. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what? I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know that this is this is not the end.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I remember saying something like this a while ago that if June ever got out, you know, what's the narrative thrust of the series. If, you know, who's left in Gilead to fight the good fight. And, and now, we're, either
0: dead or yeah, out.
1: now we're here. <laughs> if she's in Canada, who's left in, in Gilead, uh, you know, there's Nick and Lawrence who will, if June's out, then they don't really, who are they protecting anymore? <laughs> and then there's aunt Lydia who, you know, is only there for her relationship with <laughs> June, as far as I'm concerned. So, but um, even if she
2: does get out to Canada, you know, I kind of feel like in Gilead's eyes, she's still a handmaid, right? Like, once a handmaid, always a handmaid. They're going to want her back because they still see her as property of Gilead. Mm-hmm. So I don't think her handmaideness will disappear in Canada because people will still be after her.
0: Well, I mean, there's a whole and or anything yet to play out, too. So I, I hope we go back there um, next episode. But speaking of who's left in Gilead, there's Lorraine, who that Martha... <laughs> who Nick had the interaction with. I love her. Um, Do you remember her from last season? (laughs) She was in um, Lawrence's basement when episode 11, the amazing one, where um, the Liars one, where Winslow was killed off, Mm. they had the interaction in the basement and the argument about the trucks and the transport and Lorraine was basically telling June to butt out, Mm. you know. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need you here. You you screw everything up. Um, yeah, that's Lorraine. So she's back. She's kind of like headmaster, maybe. I don't know, but I like How her. I do you remember her name? How
2: do you possibly? <laughs> well, they call remember her Laurie. Her name?
0: Yeah, I just checked. It's the same actress. It's um okay. Deidre Henry, who's great.
1: And um, yeah. <laughs> so she's still around. I do see there's like heaps of juicy plot points that are just about to come up now that June is out. I mean, mm. we have a inevitable reunion with. Luke. We've got potential reunion with Serena and Fred. Yep. Um, we've got the fact that she is some kind of hero <laughs> among the Gilead diaspora, <laughs> or should I say the United American States, dias- American yeah, yeah. diaspora <laughs> and Canada. <laughs> I can't wait to see how, how all of this plays out. Yeah, I know.
0: Wow. And we're literally at the middle point of the series now. So she's You know, on the border, we're halfway through, so five more episodes to go. Well, look, who knows, but we're here for it. Um, That about wraps it up, I think. So thanks for listening. We hope that helped. (laughs) Um, We're off to do a Couch to 5K with Lydia on her treadmill. (laughs) Um, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Haiti Island, Sana Kadar and Natalie Hambly. And thank you for listening. We love that you choose to watch this series along with us and it's fantastic to hear how you're thinking about this season. So, yeah, keep reaching out on Twitter. You can find me at anything but Fifi. Heidi, where can we find you? At Heidi Island. Sana.
2: At Sana underscore Kadara.
0: And Natalie. At Natalie Hambley. Are you fielding a whole bunch of tweets from people Called Stephen (laughs) now? Are you getting (laughs) killed by Stephens? Totally. (laughs) Direct all your correspondence to Natalie. Um, oh, by the way, you, well I've spoiled it now, but you know who the actor who plays Warren? His first name is.
3: Oh, so, well, of course. Yeah, I, mean, I, I assume there's actually ten. actually <laughs> ten Stevens in the cast somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: when you do tweet, uh, use the hashtag #EyesOnGilead. That's how how we find you. I got one great message um, from uh, Jessica, and she. They clarified the Star Wars reference for us. We didn't get what uh, Janine was talking about. It was um, when she said, standing by a red leader. So that's from um, Star Wars A New Hope, uh, oh, before the rebels yeah. blow up the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Kind of a big moment. Mm-hmm. You think we might remember that. But, uh, you know, it's also a foreshadowing, as on that mission, all the rebels in the Red Fleet die during that attack. But Luke Skywalker is left as the last pilot to make the shot, which ultimately destroys the Empire's new weapon. It may have been foreshadowing the death of the Handmaids. It's all in there. We <laughs> just oh, to so join all those clever. dots. Good, people. yeah, yeah. Um, also, had some great theories about the milk. You know, the, the, the spilt milk was the dead handmaids that all, they were on a train. The girls died mm. on the tracks. All that great stuff. Good shouts. Loving the tweets. Keep them coming. And while we have you, why not leave some feedback and give us a rating on the podcast app you are listening to us on right now? It helps other people to find the show. So we'll be back to recap episode six when it drops and all new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale season four premiere every Thursday on SBS and we go a little earlier at SBS On Demand, so keep an eye out for that if you're lucky. And if you're watching on television, uh, those episodes screen at 9.30pm. If you speak other languages or know someone who does, SBS On Demand is also subtitling the series in simplified Chinese and Arabic. If you want some more Handmaids coverage or some recommendations of what else you can be watching in that torturous week between episodes, you can head to SBS Guide. We've got some recommendations. And you might also like my other podcast, The Playlist, which I host with Ben Nguyen. And we talk movies and TV shows that are worth your time. Speaking of anything worth your time, Haiti, what have you got to recommend? Ever watch?
1: I'm going to give a little plug to a Handmaid's Tale bite sized after show that we've got on SBS On Demand called One Burning Question. There is an episode that corresponds to each episode of the latest season of The Handmaid's Tale And in it, a cast member and a super fan are interviewed about you know, something that was raised in the latest episode So you can hear Luke's take on Nick or Aunt Lydia's take on Janine It's really fascinating and fun, so I recommend one burning question Great, sounds good
0: And Sana, recommend something to watch or listen to?
2: Yeah, I'm going to recommend another episode of my podcast, a recent one, that I think Serena's Baby will find really helpful in about 20 years' time. It's about um, the damage done by emotionally immature parents. I oh. speak to a psychologist who sort of um, uses the umbrella term of, like, emotionally immature parents to describe parents who might be narcissistic or controlling or even emotionally abusive. And, you know, we everyone has uh, interesting relationships with their parents, some better than most, but... um. I think that that would be a really interesting one for Serena's baby in particular and you if you have a hard relationship with your parents. So that's on All in the Mind, which is a show on ABC Radio National, but it's also available on all podcasting platforms. And that episode is called The Damage Done by Emotionally Immature Parents and How to Heal.
0: And Natalie, what about you? Something to recommend?
2: What
3: I am going to recommend is... After this episode, it has inspired me to want to go back and read the Testaments again. So can I please recommend to everybody, (laughs) it's a great book. You will love it. And I really want to talk about it. Um, Well, we have in relation relation to the show. There is so much more that we could actually possibly talk about. So read the book. If we don't have time for the book... There is a really great podcast which actually recaps the book. You will find it at Eyes on Gilead. <laughs> yeah, good call. And
0: I think some people have been reading the Testaments. I have noticed our Book Club episode has crawled back up at the charts there. I think people are uh, latching on that maybe there is something in this, in this book that they need to get onto. So, yeah, absolutely get onto it. And then it won't be a spoiler if we start talking about the Testaments. So Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.
2: Don't own me i know your property So take your dirty building,
1: off me
2: Motion
0: denied, council adjourned Thank you, Commander Lawrence You bet, enjoy your lunch